from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome, everybody, to Advent. Is this our first episode in Advent? I don't <laughs> I think it is. Okay, yeah. Oh, come, oh, come. Emmanuel. Of course, the... Did you just hear that flicky thing I just did on my chair? Did that go through the mic? Sorry, everybody, if that's going through the mic. Uh, <laughs> maybe Juan will edit that out. Maybe he won't. We shall see. It is Advent, and we had a very inspiring homily from uh, a visiting priest at our parish on the first Sunday of Advent, um, which it will be the second Sunday of Advent by the time people hear this. That's right. Not that anybody's keeping track or that it matters, but I said no, it anyway. somebody Because I didn't want to confuse somebody. <laughs> yes, we record these in advance. <laughs> I don't know why that... My ranting is striking me funny today. Okay, so this homily from this priest, it really blessed me. He, he was talking about the expression, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And he said, pray that into all of your life situations. Pray that into your heart. Pray it into your circumstances. Pray it into your sorrows. Pray that into your sufferings. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, Maranatha, Maranatha. What I really liked about that is he was, he was doing something that sadly seems rarely done in homilies. He was connecting church teaching, kind of Catholic vocabulary. Most Catholics have heard the word Maranatha plenty, but they don't really know what it means or how it applies to their daily lives. I have found such practical application of that in my daily life since that homily. I have just found myself saying that, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, come into this thing I'm going through right now, come into this sorrow I'm feeling right now, come into this stress I'm feeling right now, come into this relationship that's going through a difficult struggle right now, Lord. It's just been a blessing to me. I'm really, really grateful to that visiting priest. And I know that homily blessed you too, Wendy. What, what do you remember about that? Yeah, it it definitely did. I think he really helped me to um, look at the ways that I'm kind of distracted by busyness. I always feel that way in this season of year. Maybe I'm a little prone to anxiety. Anybody out there feel me? Yes, um, yes. <laughs> and he... He was able to speak to that lovingly, not in a way that made me feel shame about it, but to lovingly alert me that that the the Lord really desires my heart, and it is there's a reason this is a season of preparation. It is interesting. I had a conversation uh, with um, a woman I met who. Um, was in our home and was talking about having put up her Christmas decorations and I, I didn't have any up. And I was sharing with her how different uh, it is when you're a Catholic to experience Advent as something separate from Christmas. It's its own time. It's a time right. of longing. It's a time of cleansing. And, and, you know, there is a challenge in trying to make the home and all that has to be done in the home match the liturgical season, I think ideally we wouldn't put any Christmas decorations up till Christmas Eve, like right. just like in the church, but I can't quite do that. But anyway, you know, it was 
that's a connection to my experience of Advent as well, just that sense of trying to manage all the exterior tasks, trying to match what the church season is. But I felt in this homily like a like a personal call. Instead of these like this set of tasks and duties and responsibilities, I, I, I was able to hear him just share Jesus' heart for me and how my heart needs to be tuned into that. You know what I like about Advent, Wendy? Tell me. Your Advent wreaths that you make for our family. They're really special. Like it, it, it really tickles me. I know you. I know you already know this, but it's reminding me. <laughs> Christopher is my biggest fan I, when it comes to making Advent. You wreaths. make awesome <laughs> Advent wreaths. Thanks, love. You're welcome. And it reminds me, like it's as special to me as the way you crack an egg. <laughs> and if our listeners don't know what I'm talking about, you have to listen. Was that episode one of our podcast that I been. talked about? Yeah. The way I love you cracking eggs. Yeah. The way, the way I love the way. You crack eggs. Right. Yeah, so go listen to episode one or re-listen to it if you haven't heard it for a while. <laughs> you'll, you'll learn why I like the way Wendy cracks eggs. <laughs> it does sound pretty strange. It does sound strange, but it's, it's really cool. <laughs> Give me an update on the TOB Institute now. Okay, a few things I want to share. Ross and Elizabeth Busby on our team have been developing for a number of years— a program for dating couples to discern whether they're called to marriage. And the TOB Institute has just published this program. It's called Next Step. It has already met to some really, really positive reviews. In fact, one of our pilgrims who's now married, who was on the pilgrimage last month mm -hmm. or two months ago, uh, went through that program in discerning whether he was to marry. He is married now to the woman he went through the program with, and he was just raving about it. He said it was such a, a very helpful program in their discernment. So if you are in that situation or you have loved ones who are in that situation, you need to learn about the Next Step program, and we'll have a link for you in the show notes. I also want to put out the word for our podcast listeners on a pilgrimage next summer that my dear brother and friend and esteemed colleague at the TOB Institute, Bill Dunahy, will be leading. He just finished a course last month in November on Poets for the Kingdom, and that was the title of the course, and it was a look at the sacramental worldviews of C.S. Lewis and, sorry, I just got a little catch in my throat, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. And all of the students that were there spoke so highly of what a wonderful course that is. Anyway, the pilgrimage next summer, July, is continuing that theme, and they are going to bright old England mm -hmm. to tour all kinds of holy sites and get a taste and flavor of the culture there that, that gave birth to the minds and hearts of Lewis and Tolkien. So check out the link on that. And one more thing I want to share— I mentioned this in a recent podcast, but we are in need of donors who would be willing to support a one-year salary for a few new employees that we're looking to hire. Um, not that one donor has to support a few, but we need a few donors who are willing to support the annual salary of, of someone that we could expand our team, grow our team. We'd be so grateful if that's tapping anybody's hearts and you would like to support us in that way. Um, why don't you just write to us, give us your email in the 
the place where you submit questions for the podcast and someone on my team will be in touch with you. If that's, um, if you're feeling that little nudge of the Holy Spirit, we'd be so grateful. And even if you can't support like a whole year, maybe you could support less than a year's salary. And I haven't even told you the year's salary because we're not even sure yet, but you, you generally, generally have the range of what somebody needs to make to make a living wage in our world today. So in that range, um, but it, maybe you could do half, maybe you could do a third. And if we get enough of those people, uh, that would, man, that would go a long way. Thank you for considering that. Hmm. I have a question here for you from one of our patrons. Let's do it. This is from Madeline. Hello, Madeline. Thank you so much for your monthly support of our ministry. So grateful to you. Madeline says, thank you so much for answering God's call to do the incredibly needed work in the church. I want to especially thank Christopher for sharing how God has reached you through songs. Mm. Since I heard you, your witness, I've been able to receive so much love and grace from the Lord through so many songs. Oh, that warms my heart. I just want to thank you, Lord, for that grace in Madeline's life, because yeah, I, I know how deep that can go. She, she goes on, it has transformed my prayer life. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, that really blesses me to hear. I'm engaged to be married next summer to an incredible, holy, funny, and thoughtful man. I prayed to find a man who would make me feel fully known and fully loved, and I cannot wait for our journey as husband and wife. I've heard that in heaven there will be no marriage, and ever since we got engaged, I've been having a lot of fear and anxiety about this. I know that God is good and the author of my heart, so whatever heaven is like, it will be good, but it feels so unfair that I only get this short life married to my future husband and all of eternity alone. I've thought that perhaps we will be so united with everyone in heaven because we can love so purely that we'll be closer to them than we are in marriage on earth, but this thought honestly makes me feel a bit jealous. Is there anything that Theology of the Body can speak into this fear? Oh, dear Madeline, my dear sister, yes, yes, yes. I am so glad you have written this question to us. Put your heart out there and and invited us to speak into it. Yes, I, I can speak right to this place in your heart, and I can put you at ease. And I, I pray my words will bring, bring peace and rest to your weary soul here in in being fearful about something that there need not be any fear about. Although, of course, that fear is understandable. I get it. But that fear comes from a misunderstanding of that scripture. So let's go to the scripture where Jesus says, in the, resurre- in the resurrection, men and women are no longer given in marriage. What we need to understand in order to properly understand these words is the whole context of the biblical message. And if you're familiar with this podcast, I imagine you are as a patron Uh, You've heard me say before, we can summarize the entire Bible with these five words. Wendy, what are they? God wants to marry you. God wants to marry you. God wants to marry the whole human race. God wants humanity to be the bride of his son. And it's so important that we understand this, this refers to all of humanity. And you use the word alone in reference to heaven. I'll be alone. I'll get to experience marriage on earth, but I'll be alone in heaven. Alone is not the proper word for heaven at all. And you you intuited this also. You said, what about the communion of saints? Or she mentioned something about it. How, how did mm-hmm. she put it, Wendy? She said, perhaps we'll be so united with everyone in heaven because right. we can love so purely. Right. Yes, we, we will be united with everyone in heaven, but 
put that on pause for a moment. I'm going to loop around and come back to it. So when Jesus says, in the resurrection, men and women are no longer given in marriage, keep in mind, the Bible begins with the marriage of man and woman. It ends with the marriage of Christ and the church. What is this telling us? It's telling us that one is a foreshadowing of the other. The marriage of man and woman is the sign that God gives us here on planet earth, the sacramental sign that points us, that orients us, that prepares us, that launches us, if you will, to the eternal marriage of Christ and the church. That eternal marriage is not just a one-on-one in union with God, although we will all have, as JP2 says in the theology of the body, he says we will all have a unique unrepeatable, exclusive relationship with the living God. Madeline, you will have a union with God that nobody else has because you're the only you there ever was, and God has an unrepeatable love for unrepeatable you. But at the same time, your future husband and everyone else, God willing, we all say yes to the marriage of the Lamb. We give our yes to God's marriage proposal. Uh, If it's going to be a wedding, it ain't going to be a shotgun wedding in heaven because God respects our freedom, right? But if we say yes to God's marriage proposal, those who say yes, let's put it that way, will be united forever in the communion of the saints. And in the communion of the saints, you and your future husband will have a unique, unrepeatable relationship that will be not in any way an erasing of your marriage in this world, not in any way a deletion of your marriage in this world, but will be the full redemption and completion of your marriage in this world. So we're not talking negation or absence. We're talking super abounding fulfillment. What will no longer exist in eternity in the marriage of the lamb is the sacrament of marriage. Just like We will no longer have the sacrament of the Eucharist. What we will have is Christ's body given up for us without sacramental mediation, right? The bread and the wine that are transformed in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, this is called sacramental mediation. There will be no sacramental mediation because we will participate. And if you think of the word mediation, now we can understand this next word with a new little insight. We will participate in Christ's body given up for us immediately, immediately, meaning without mediation. You and your future husband will live in this world, the sacrament of marriage, and your relationship as husband and wife will be bound together by the sacramental bond That means the love that binds Christ to the church will be mediated to the two of you through the sacrament of your marriage. In eternity, you will still be bound to each other in the marriage of Christ and the church, but now without sacramental mediation because you will participate immediately in the real marriage. Nothing that you love and appreciate about the joy, the intimacy, the, the beauty of the friendship of husband and wife, none of that will be, de- will be deleted in eternity. It will be taken up and fully completed. And I want to say a, a, um, a word here about what you said about what about jealousy in, in the communion of saints when we're all together? Am I going to be sharing my husband with everybody else? What is that? Uh, 
in one way, yes, you'll be sharing your husband with everybody else, but not not in any way that violates uh, your, how do I say this? Will I be sharing a kind of spousal love that I know with my husband here on earth? Will I be sharing in that kind of intimacy uh, with others? And will will my husband be sharing in that intimacy with others? And won't we be jealous? And how does how does that all work itself out? Remember that St. Paul says, love is not jealous, right? In eternity, in the communion of the saints, somehow, I don't know how, but Wendy, the goodness that I have been blessed by in our marriage through you, getting to know you in the way I have gotten to know you as your husband, somehow, and I, I do, I rejoice in this thought, somehow the whole communion of the saints will know the unique and unrepeatable blessing that you are, Wendy. And in the love that is so beyond what we can think or imagine in this life, the love of eternity, the very love of God in us, without sin kind of messing it up, without jealousies getting involved, without our our limitations kind of thwarting the free flow of God's love, in eternity, the full free flow of the divine love in and through the communion of saints, all jealousies cease. All fears cease. Your husband, I can't wait to know your husband. I can't wait to know you because your husband reveals a beam of God's glory in this world that nobody else reveals. I don't get to know that in this life but in the communion of saints, I will. I don't get to know your unique beam of light in this world, Madeline, but in the communion of saints, I will. And you will know mine and you will know Wendy's and everyone will know everyone without any hint of funk or weirdness or jealousy or fear. It will be the experience of perfect love casting out all fear and all jealousies. It will be the perfect experience of perfect intercommunion among all the members of the body of Christ. That is something to rejoice in, not to fear or to be threatened by. Uh, And if we are in this life, there are just things we got to keep exposing our hearts to the love of the Lord. And remember, eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has ready for those who love him. Wendy, what are your thoughts here. I actually want to share something from our recent pilgrimage to France. Yeah. And um, it, it does relate, and I'll, I'll share um, something about St. Therese, who was married only to Jesus on earth. So, it may seem like, why am I giving that example? But I'll tell you, when I was um, maybe in my early 20s, I, I remember thinking about this scripture passage and feeling like it was telling me that all my particular relationships would somehow not continue in heaven. You know, not just at the time I wasn't married, but like uh, many of our listeners know that my father had died years before. So it kind of made me feel like I'm not going to really in any particular way be reunited with my father in heaven. It was sort of this question of like, well, what is that place? You know, it didn't sound very appealing because of my heart. I did want to be reunited with my father. And what I was going to share from the pilgrimage is that um, we went to France. And one of the things we were um, especially learning about was the spirituality of St. 
Therese, the little flower. And she um, died in the late 1800s in France. And after her death, in the convent where she had lived with uh, all these other nuns, they would frequently come upon, frequently might be an exaggeration, but on many occasions would enter a room and smell flowers in the room for no reason. There wouldn't be flowers. Well, it they were able to discern that this these were just signs of Therese's ongoing love for this community, that she would bless them. It would be a comforting, beautiful experience and a reminder of her love for them that she was giving them. This wasn't happening everywhere in the world. It was happening in their convent. And I think that just illustrates that here's someone who's in heaven and her love for those on earth is continuing, it just helps us to be reassured that those particular relationships are not lost. That's a great, great parallel, Wendy. I'm so glad you brought that up because it it shows in a concrete example what I was trying to say. Nothing of the particularity of your relationship with your future husband in this life will be erased, annulled, or deleted. It will be fully redeemed fully expressed and fully completed. That's what you await in eternity, not negation, but but fullness beyond what we can think or imagine. <clears throat> and I, I once heard the communion of saints described as multiple intimacy without promiscuity or something like that. It was, it was, it's, it, but it's something we can't fathom in this world. It's, it's either universal or it's particular in this existence. But in eternity, there is no contradiction between the universal and the particular. If, if, that, if those words help, I hope they do. I, I think they do. And I, I also want to mention that when you teach um, some of your TOB courses, you spend a good chunk of class time on this very topic. And, yeah. you know, I, it's hard in a short answer to yeah. go to all the the beauty of it. Madeline, pick up uh, TOB for Beginners. If you haven't already read that, there's a, a, a big chunk of time in that book spent on this as well. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. Okay. Hi, Christopher and Wendy. You speak a lot about the importance of being open to the possibility of having a child. I've also heard you refer to NFP and there being legitimate reasons to avoid pregnancy. I have a genetic disease that has a 50-50 chance of being passed on. I'm not married yet, but I know I desperately want to have children. I worry, though, not just for myself, but for my future children. I so intensely desire to experience pregnancy and motherhood. Mm. I've dreamed of it for as long as I can remember. However, the idea of passing this disease along to them breaks my heart, Mm. knowing the physical and emotional pain it comes with. Mm. Every life is sacred and a gift, yet I often wonder if it would be right or wrong to take the risk of passing this on. Is there any insight that TOB could provide in discerning whether or not to have children while knowing this risk? Bless you, bless you, dear listener. I just, I just want to reverence the real quandary that you are in without just leaping in with some response, because uh, that's a real quandary. 
And I can feel the weight of it in your heart as Wendy reads that question. Uh, I just want to sit with that just for a moment. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this dear person's life. Thank you, Lord, that you have promised that you are with us in all of our struggles, in all of our quandaries, in all of our conundrums, in all of our questions. I ask you, Lord, to please shine your, your bright, bright light on this listener's heart, and please guide my, my words here. A few things come to my mind, and, and I don't know the seriousness of your condition. You haven't shared that other than that it's been very painful, and it's serious enough that you are questioning, should I, should I take the risk of passing this along? Let's just rewind and, and look at, at the miracle of your existence. Mm-hmm. The miracle of your existence. It sounds very clear to me. In fact, it is clear to me because you want to bring new life into the world, which means you're glad you exist. You think existence is a good thing. Mm. Um, you are glad that you exist even though you have existed with a painful disease. Your existence is good. Your existence is a brilliant beam of God's glory in this world, not despite your disease, but even in and through it. This is the dignity of human life. This is the dignity of human sorrow and suffering. Christ, in taking on flesh, was willing to embrace in his humanity every single human sorrow, suffering, wound, tragedy, evil, uh, evil of a moral nature and evil of a physical nature. All of the horrors, all of the pains, all of the sufferings that humanity bears, Jesus bore in his humanity in his very flesh. And look what happened. All of it, all of it was transformed into glory. Bringing a new life into the world must, must, for it to be understood in its true dignity, must, that new life must be viewed in light of that new life's eternal destiny. Because guess what? Every single human life will experience suffering. And I know this wrestling because, I mean, we're past childbearing age at this point. But in the, the, the many, many fertile years we had and the many, many times we realized, wow, if we came together tonight, we could have a child. There is always that, oh my gosh, do I want to do this? Do we want to bring a life into the world? Is this world a good, good place? It's really sucks sometimes. Do I want to bring another life into this world that really sucks sometimes? If I'm just looking at the suck part, no, I don't. Hmm. But if I'm looking at the whole mystery of human life, that the sucky part embraced in union with Jesus leads to a glory beyond what we can think, dream, or imagine, do I want to bring another life into this world to participate in that eternally? All right, Lord. If we're going to come together and your will be done, if you want another child to come in, whatever the sufferings might be, 
You have promised to transform those sufferings into glory. And in light of your promise, I can give myself to my wife knowing we could be bringing another life into the world. And if it happens, it's because God desires it to happen. And he wants to share it with that unrepeatable person, his eternal glory. Looked at from that perspective, we can say with St. Paul, I consider all of the sufferings of this life as nothing compared to the glory to be revealed in us in eternity. In light of that, dear listener, I think you will find the answer to your question in a way that honors the quandary, that doesn't dismiss it or pretend it's not a quandary, but honoring that quandary finds in the light of faith a a path forward. Yeah, I think I noticed, too, what you pointed out early on, that she doesn't say any specifics about this um, genetic condition, and that's fine because maybe it's helpful to listeners in a variety of circumstances to just consider this. One of the things that our world, which is so bent on kind of ignoring the Creator, ignoring God, and trying to be God ourselves, you know, would tend to take a, let's take control of this situation approach and say, okay, if you know you have a genetic disease, here's what we're going to do. And it's horrifying what they say, but they package it and make it sound like this is great. What they would recommend, I'm imagining, is that such a person would um, have not conceive through intercourse, but take control, you know, harvest eggs, conceive in a in a lab where we can test this embryo. We're not going to use the real name that it's your child. And we're going to test and see if this genetic disease is present and we won't implant it unless it it's not present. You know, that that's the that's not only an imaginary thing I'm describing. That is what happens. That is what is happening today. That is happening mercy, right now. Mercy, mercy. That and so you can see how any any suffering and difficulty in our life can the the evil one can get in there and try to make it sound beautiful to utterly reject God and his good plan and try to make our own good plan. And There's utterly a- reject these human lives. They're That's not just right. embryos. That's They're right. human persons. I mean, what an affront to our listener. Yeah. That some doctor would say, because you have this disease, let's let's dispense with you. Let's kill you. Mm. Let's get rid of no, no it is good that this person exists. That's right. Amen. So I, I just wanted to point that out, that here, as you are looking at this, and and it may be that you would never consider doing any of those things, or, you know, that's, and that's fine. I, I Maybe I'm mentioning it for other listeners who are considering this or thinking about this topic, but what I want to say to you is that, first of all, r- respecting that God is God is fundamental, that you respect the way he made man and woman and that the dignity of every child is that God intends for them to be conceived through the love of the husband and wife in their union. And that is beautiful and risky. Yeah. It's risky. Yeah. Okay. So, that's part of the adventure of life that we go on. It's risky for every couple, and sometimes when you're aware of a risk, you maybe feel 
I don't know, a certain responsibility or fear of the judgment of others, I do think that it will be essential for this listener to both process with the Lord in prayer the goodness of her existence, as you've mentioned, and also to recognize the good that has come to her life through suffering. Because all of us, because God's so merciful, we can experience goodness in our lives through suffering. Um, so I think those are going to be essential steps also when you are married with your husband to really be united in that. And then to discern one child at a time, you know, what are we able to handle just like any couple? That's that's the call of the married couple. But there's, there's a, a need to be so much more, I think, urgently connected to the grace that's available to you because of this world giving us such you know, contrary messages about who we are and what it means to be a parent. Thank you, Wendy. I think you were really following the Spirit's lead there in what you shared. And I, I just want to conclude our answer to her question with this, because I think it's important just to acknowledge there could be a situation. I don't know if this is it, uh, but there could be, I just want to say hypothetically, there could be a situation in which a, a married couple would discern based on sound uh, scientific knowledge and probabilities that there could be such a serious problem with the pregnancy, either for the mother or for the child, um, that it would be advisable and maybe even appropriate to avoid a pregnancy, to avoid conceiving. That is a possibility in, in a in a you know in a, in the hypothetical. I don't want to make it sound like we think there could, that could never be a, a just reason to avoid mm, a pregnancy. Right. It could be, it could be a just reason, um, but it would never be. We never have, regardless of how just the reason is to avoid a child. It is never just to render the sexual act sterile. It is never just to activate the generative power of our bodies and then thwart it. Uh, it would be just to abstain from the marital act in order to avoid a conception, but it would not be just to rob the marital embrace of its procreative potential. Mm -hmm. Awesome stuff. Yeah. I think also Good News About Sex and Marriage oh, yeah, yeah. is a book that might be helpful yeah, to good many news about people. Sex and Marriage, uh, we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes, mm -hmm. is my Q&A book, and I have a whole chapter on uh, the contraception, natural family planning question, and a whole chapter on reproductive technology questions, and I think listeners will find that very helpful. Yeah. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. I volunteered at a detention center, and the chaplain explained how the guys there are very resourceful at obtaining money from their mothers for their drug habits. Huh. Over time, the mothers start to understand that they should not give them money, but often they still do. It became obvious to me that sometimes love must say no. In my marriage, I'm not a mother, but I often feel that sex looks like a drug for my husband. Mm, mm. It's something he gets angry, irritable, or distant over when he doesn't 
quote, get his dose. Mm, mm. When should I say no out of love? Bless you, dear wife. Wow. Wow, speaking of quandaries and conundrums, wow. Uh, again, I just, I feel the weight of what this woman is experiencing in her marriage. Now, she has, she has framed the question in terms of what her husband is going through, by and large. I mean, she is asking, what should I do? But, but man, what I feel, what I feel is what has been left unspoken, which is how, how do I put this delicately? Um, I will say this. A man who cannot control his own sexual desires will, ev- will inevitably seek to control his wife and or others to gratify them. I could say it this way too. A man who cannot say no to his sexual desires, his yes is emptied of its meaning. And the woman becomes in, in a very real and very painful way a mere object for her husband to gratify himself. And this wasn't spoken, but it's kind of the unspoken undertone of of the question. There is no doubt in my mind, if your husband is treating sex like a drug and he's he's getting angry and pouting if he doesn't get his drug and he's like going through withdrawal systems, symptoms, then this is a man that is not free. And... A man who is not free in his sexual desires, free in the sense of they are not in control of me, I'm in control of them, does not know how to be a gift. And a man who does not know how to be a gift will inevitably wound and hurt a woman. So my heart first goes out to you in that pain. I wanted to say that first. In light of that, having said that, what can I say... um, in terms of the the actual question. I would invite you to invite your husband on a journey of learning more thoroughly and deeply than he already knows. And I don't know what extent he knows any of this, probably not very great. But I would invite you to invite him on a journey together as a husband and wife to enter into the beauty and the splendor and the transformative power of John Paul II's theology of the body. I would suggest beginning, maybe again with good news about sex and marriage, because it's an easy Q&A format. And I think guys kind of relate to the Q&A format. And I'm sure there's a lot, a lot of questions he has that he will find some very interesting answers to. And it can be a kind of examination of conscience. It can be a looking together at pains in your marriage. I would recommend two other books as well. Oh, well, I'd recommend all kinds of books, but um, <laughs> here, here, three others. Let me go with three others. Theology of the Body for Beginners. Theology of the Body for Beginners could be a, a marvelous way together as a couple. Maybe you, maybe you each read 10 pages a week and then you just sit down one night or, or go out for coffee or a beer or whatever and just talk about what you're learning. Uh, let things come up and out that need to come up and out. Um, then I would suggest my book, Heaven's Song, Sexual Love as It Was Meant to Be, 
I tell a lot of stories in there about couples and their struggles and how John Paul II's theology of the body has brought hope and healing to them. And then I would recommend a book I wrote called Love is Patient, But I'm Not. Uh, the subtitle of that one is um, Confessions of a Recovering Perfectionist. And in that book, I just go through St. Paul's hymn to love, love is patient, love is kind, et cetera, et cetera. And I use that to tell stories of my own broken humanity, stories from our marriage that I got Wendy's permission to tell, and, <laughs> and uh, about how we're all broken and we need to bring God's mercy and how we can use that hymn to love, again, as a kind of examination of conscience. I do believe your husband is in need of a, of a gentle, not finger-wagging or scolding, not at all, but a, a gentle but clear examination of conscience. Uh, um, maybe put it this way. He, he needs a mirror into which to look that will be a clear reflection of where his heart is off. Uh, and I, I believe in the sincerity of, of people. I believe... You know, he, he wanted to get married. There's something genuine and beautiful and good about that. He's not just out there, you know, wanting to uh, sow his wild oats, so to speak. He, he wanted to marry you. What a good thing. What a beautiful thing. That shows the genuineness of his heart. Um, so, there's obviously, there is goodness there. There's, there's, there's a desire to want to learn how to love you. He's stuck, as many men are stuck in the modern world, in a kind of addictive expression of sexual desire. This is unjust to you as his wife, and it is not healthy or helpful for him as an individual. He needs freedom. And my dear sister, your prayers as his wife, and Wendy, you can speak into this. You, you have had to deal with all my crap in our marriage, which spouses cannot hide their crap from each other. It's, they can't. And this is one of the great gifts and graces of marriage, that we learn how to love each other in our crap. And we learn through the pain of that crap that's a technical theological term, by the way, crap. <laughs> uh, we, we, learn, we learn in and through dealing with each other's crapola, we learn, if we're open to that grace, we learn how to be each other's number one intercessor. And the pain that you have experienced because of your husband's addictive approach, the pain that you have experienced can become and is in itself opened to Jesus, that pain is in itself a most powerful prayer of intercession for your husband. And I'm just realizing, I don't think I answered the actual question. I gave a lot of, I think, things that are, are important for what this woman is going through. But Wendy, maybe you can speak into her actual question about, is there a time to say no? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many ways you could go with this question and so many um, just thoughts and feelings um, I have for this couple and this wife in a particular way. I think um, what Christopher is recommending as he starts talking about books and, and discussions and prayers is that, that there's not just a simple um, say no this number of times and somehow the addiction is gone or some kind of simple formula like that. What is what is needed is is a conversion of heart. And we all need conversion of heart. That's not like singling your husband out as someone, you know, unlike the whole world because we're all fallen and this is, you know, as a need, we all need ongoing conversion. So, but what Christopher is sharing is that yeah, it, it's hard to just get into 
the question as it was posed, when should I say no? But I, I do like that you put it out of love. Yeah, 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 that's, that's important. I think that that's a grace. Yes. That you've made that connection between what you were learning in your volunteer position and what you're seeing in your husband. You're saying, ah, he, he maybe is communicating to me, if I love him, I will always say yes. And I'm feeling like maybe that's not what he needs. That's not the best way to show my love. So I think that's a beautiful instinct, but it is hard to know for sure how to put it into practice. I think if you can, um, first of all, as Christopher said, to begin a journey of praying for your husband, begin to notice things about him that you can pray for in in just in your interactions with him, whether it's surrounding your sexual union or other aspects of his life, his work, his own family of origin, all kinds of things. If you can start to be looking for opportunities to pray for him and for for his openness to grace, for the um, the goodness in him to win in different struggles in his life, that the Lord would be, you know, drawing him, drawing his heart closer to himself. So that's like a really great starting place of intercession for, for your husband. I think as far as saying no in in immediate situations, first of all, you're free to say no. So it's, I, I know you're like saying, well, when? <laughs> yes, you're free to say no. And it can be because that's just your sense, your instinct that it's not going to be a loving encounter. And so you need to say no to it. I think um, that is very important that women know, and men also, that if your spouse is coming to you in a place that you sense what they want to pass on to you in your union is not going to be love, but it may be a venting of anger or frustration. That is very damaging mm-hmm. to the relationship, and we need to say no to that. We can't provide a service in those kinds of circumstances. We can't view our sexual union as an activity. It's a communication and a communion. Mm-hmm. And the the state of heart is so important for that to be grace-filled and to have the effect that God designed it to have. So I would encourage you to be willing to recognize those situations and whatever way you need to, every relationship is unique and I don't want to kind of imagine myself in every single marriage. It's too, it's too hard for my brain, (laughs) But, but I'll just say this, that in our experience, it's helpful to be, gentle in our communication yes. because it creates a receptivity to grace. And so I just will share that firmness with gentleness is a possibility and it's, it's helpful to us. And speaking as a man, um, I know how men can pout and whine and, you know, feel rejected even when that's not warranted or justified. May I suggest as a man that a, a, a good way to communicate this to your husband, if you need to say no, would be something like this. Honey, 
I love you. I love being married to you. I want to learn what it means to make beautiful, passionate, glorious love to each other in our marriage bed. Start with that. That will get your husband (laughs) delighted and excited. And then you can say, but... We have a lot of work we need to do to get there. I want to get there with you. I don't, I, and, and I think we need to learn how to grow in self-mastery. And self-mastery means you can say yes and you can say no. If you can't say no, your yes means nothing. And honey, sometimes I feel like your yes means nothing because you can't say no. I want to help you as your wife and I want together to learn together how we can give a full-bodied and full-souled yes to our lovemaking. But let's go on a journey together to learn how to do that. And in the meantime, I think we, we need to refrain so that we can grow in true self-mastery and freedom, so that our yes can mean yes, so that our yes can be a true expression of loving as we're called to love. I think if you approached it some way like that, where you affirm the goal, which is beautiful, passionate, wonderful lovemaking. If your husband has that goal in mind, he may well be willing and ready to face whatever sacrifice he has to get, go through to get to that goal. Mm. Just some thoughts. Yeah. I hope that was helpful. And I hope all that we said today was helpful in one way or another to one person or another all around the world, wherever you're listening to this. Thank you for listening, and please share what you've heard today with other people you think would benefit from it. Until we gather around the world again at our next episode, may you know it from the tips of your hair down to the tips of your toenails, and everywhere in between, you are an unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.